Hello, everybody. It's great to see you in person. Hi to those of you tuning in online. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, and it, there, it may be the case because I'm meeting new people every week who are just coming back after a long two-year break after COVID, uh, welcome back. Uh, my name's Melissa, and uh, I'd love to connect with you at some point. Uh, who doesn't love a good feast? Yes, feasts are good. Uh, in our culture, Christmas and Easter are traditional times to have a feast. Maybe you have a tradition of a family feast around birthday times or graduations. Uh, weddings usually have a feast. And the thing that feasts have in common with each other are the people who come around the table around good food and great conversation. But sometimes there's a little bit of drama. I remember one particular feast as a kid where there was some drama. I was about five years old, I think. Uh, I think it was Christmas. I remember there being turkey. And the whole family was over, like all the grandparents, aunts and uncles and cousins. And my parents cleared out the living room furniture and made this big, long table from the dining room to the living room window. Uh, when the meal was ready, we all sat down and ooing and aahing over the food, got fully into our meal. And I looked across at my sister, who was probably about four at the time. She was just across and to the left from me. And she waited until we were fully into the meal, and then she did what she always did at our family feasts. She puked right into her plate, <laughs> all over the table, all over her lap. This seemed to be a family tradition. It happened most of the times we got together during that stage in her life. It may have been because of the free-flowing candy, because the grandparents were there and my parents were busy with the cooking. Uh, I don't know what it was, but it happened all the time. Today, we're going to be talking about a feast full of all sorts of tradition, but not the same kind of tradition as the one I just described. We're in the middle of a sermon series celebrating the journey to the cross throughout Lent. Now, Lent is the Christian season lasting 40 days plus Sundays where we often give something up. We fast from something. But then when Easter comes, the feast is that much more significant, that much more special. And as part of our Lenten journey to the cross, we've been doing this sermon series where we're looking at the last, life of Je or the last week of Jesus' life before he went to his death. Today, like I said, we're looking at a feast, a special dinner that Jesus had with his friends that was very significant. Significant for a couple reasons. It was his very last dinner with his friends before he went to the cross. And also, it was a cultural and religious feast called the Passover, a feast that was celebrated year after year after year. Now, this being Jesus' last week of life and his last dinner with his friends, he was very intentional. Jesus is God. He could have had any festival, any celebration be the background to his death on the cross, but he chose Passover for a reason. We're going to look at that today. So let's read from Matthew 26, verses 17 to 29. This is Jesus' last supper. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. 
So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, you celebrated a special Passover meal with your friends. And then you asked us to continue celebrating this meal until you come back again, which we will do today. And so we ask, Lord, that today by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the text for us? Would you help us to see and know and understand what it is you have for us today, your church? Amen. All right. Now, if you've been around church for a while, whether it's Redwood or maybe another church, the story today isn't all that new for you. If you're at Redwood, we tell the story in some form or another every month when we take communion. If you're from another tradition, maybe it's every week. Uh, either way, this story is told over and over and over again. Whenever we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, as some call it, this is a very, very famous scene. In fact, it's one of the most famous paintings in the whole world. Uh, this painting at the Last Supper probably is not what it looked like. Uh, probably they weren't all sitting on one side of the table as if this was a sitcom. But uh, this is a famous painting for a reason, because this is a very famous scene. And the reason why is because Jesus was doing some very significant things at that meal that was pointing to his destination, the cross. And it was all the more significant because of the Passover happening in the background. And so today we're going to look at the element of that feast that he had with his friends, specifically the conversation and the meal. And we'll see how everything, everything that Jesus did and said was leading to the cross. So let's start with the conversation. Has anybody seen the new Disney movie, Encanto? Uh, if you haven't seen it, maybe you've heard the hit song from Encanto, uh, We Don't Talk About Bruno, which has been in the top 100 Billboard charts for, I think, 11 weeks in the top 10. I think it was number one for a while. Uh, I'm not going to give away the story, but if you've heard the song, then you've already guessed that Bruno is a guy who is a family member to all those people in the poster. And because of who Bruno is and because what he has done, the family has shunned him. They've shunned him to the point where they don't even talk about him. Now, 
In our families and in our friends, we all have topics that we don't talk about, don't we? Topics that are off limits. So in my family, at least when my Nana and Papa, my maternal grandparents were alive, we did not talk about UFOs or homemade wine. And there's a reason for this. Everybody has their quirks, but my grandparents were interesting quirks. So my Nana had this quirk where she was really, really into UFOs. And we didn't talk about them with her because if we did, she would go on and on and on and on talking about the time that she saw a UFO. And as she got older, her stories became more elaborate to the point where in the last couple of years of her life, she was talking about the time where she was abducted by a UFO. Uh, my papa had his own quirk. And his quirk was that about 20 or 30 years before he died, he made this batch of homemade wine, but he wasn't really a drinker, and he didn't really know that much about wine, so he didn't know that homemade wine does not age well. So if you brought up wine with him, he'd bring out a bottle, he'd pour you a glass, and it was essentially vinegar, and he would watch excitedly as you drank his creation. So we didn't bring up UFOs, and we didn't bring up wine. So when my husband, Jay, first came into the family, it was the very first meal that he had where my Nana and my Papa were there, and I warned him. I said, Jay, whatever you do, just don't bring up UFOs. Don't bring up homemade wine. But if you know Jay, he's a little bit mischievous. And so as soon as we sit down, he looks up and he says, Mr. Loris, I hear you're into making wine. And we all watched with horror as my papa went down to the cellar and he brought up one of those 20-year-old bottles and he opened it and he poured Jay a glass and watched as Jay had to drink it. And he still didn't learn his lesson because the next thing he says is, Mrs. Loris, I notice the bookshelf that you have downstairs full of books about UFOs. And she began to go into her long story about seeing the UFOs that year in Port Alice, and the rest of us in the family had had enough. We just slowly backed away from the table, and we let Jay sit there with his cup of vinegar listening to my Nana talk about UFOs for about two hours. In our story today, Jesus has gathered with his friends for the Passover. And when they're into their meal, they're enjoying each other's company, Jesus brings up something that they just don't talk about the off-limits topic, off topic of conversation. Verse 20 says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Can you imagine that? You're at a table with your friends and your family, and someone there, maybe it's the mom or the dad or somebody with influence, says, Guys, one of you is going to betray me. Like, what would you do? In my family, based on our reaction when Jay brought up the UFOs and the homemade wine, we all backed away, but not Jesus' friends. They lean in. Verse 22 says, They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. This little sentence is packed with significance. First off, it says they were very sad. They're sad because they love Jesus. And somebody, someone among them is going to hurt him. But they do something so interesting. They say, surely you don't mean me, Lord? They don't say, it wasn't me. Notice the question mark. Surely you don't mean me, Lord? 
They're willing to examine their own hearts and their own minds to see, have I already betrayed Jesus? Or am I at risk of betraying him in the future? And even more than that, they're allowing Jesus to examine their hearts and minds to see if there's anything offensive within them. Now, we know as the readers of the story that Judas is the betrayer. In fact, right before our story in the chapter before, Judas has already traded Jesus in for a bag of silver coins. But notice what Jesus does in this conversation, or actually what he doesn't do. He doesn't mention Judas by name. But unlike in Canto, where we don't talk about Bruno because we don't like him, Jesus doesn't mention Judas by name because he loves him. Biblical scholars have said that it's possible that Jesus is saying this because there's still a chance for Judas to back out. Verse 23, Jesus says, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. He could have said it's Judas, guys. Judas is the betrayer. It's not any of you, it's him. But he doesn't. He's a little bit cryptic here, actually, a little bit evasive. Because Judas has not yet betrayed him. He's about to betray him, but he hasn't done it yet. He can still turn back. Jesus is still going to go to the cross. It's still going to be his final destination, but it doesn't have to be Judas who betrays him. Then Jesus says this to him, the son of man, and that's how Jesus often referred to himself, the son of man will go just as it is written about him. So the cross is inevitable, but woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? Now, it is harsh if we think that Jesus is cursing Judas, but he's not. He's warning him. He knows, he knows that if Judas goes through with what he is planning on doing, betraying Jesus for a bag of money, that eventually Judas's eyes are gonna be opened. He's gonna see what he has done, and he is going to be overcome with shame. Jesus is saying, don't do it, Judas. But then Judas asks Jesus the same question of all of the disciples with one change in word. Judas says, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Not surely you don't mean me, Lord, but surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. He's betraying himself with that word. Everybody else called Jesus Lord. Everybody else recognized Jesus as the Lord and the King in that moment. Judas did not. Rabbi means teacher. It means good religious figure. Somebody that we can learn from, but not Lord. You see, Judas wanted Jesus to come and overthrow the government. And he wanted Jesus to bring them power and wealth and fame, and when he sees Jesus on this descending journey that is going to lead to the cross, he can't get behind him. Surely you don't mean me, Lord, becomes surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus notices, notices this, and he says, you have said so. Again, he doesn't say, you're the one. He says, you have said so, meaning you have made a choice. This conversation tells us something about Jesus, and it tells us something about us. Before we come to the communion table, 
we're invited to examine our hearts and our minds for ways that we may have betrayed Jesus. Actually, if we're following in Jesus' footsteps, we allow Jesus to search our hearts and our minds for ways that we have sinned. Now, sin simply means the things that we have done to break relationship with God, break relationship with each other, to break relationship with ourselves, to not live rightly with ourselves, to break relationship with the earth. We were made for all of those good relationships. And so when we break relationships, we are not living aligned with the way that God made us to live. To sin is to betray Jesus. And so when we come to Jesus and he says, one of you will betray me, and we say, surely you don't mean me, Lord? He says, you have said so, because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God in this broken world. Isn't it beautiful, though, that Jesus gives Judas all of these chances to turn away from the path that he's going down over and over and over again. This chance to repent, to turn away from the sin and turn towards Jesus. And Jesus did this even knowing that Judas has already traded him in for a bag of money. It is never too late to turn back to Jesus. There's a pattern here that we follow when we come to the table. When in Matthew 5, during Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he talked about being in right relationship before we come before him. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Go and be in right relationship with them, and then come and offer your gift. And then later on, Paul the Apostle Paul brings this up. He applies it to communion. He says, he says, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is why, before we take communion, I always lead us in a prayer of confession and repentance it's because this is the way that Jesus showed us to do it so that we can be in right relationship before we celebrate our unity at the table together. Now, we're gonna do that in a moment when, we come, when it comes time to take communion, but before we do, let's talk about the actual meal, the actual bread and the wine that were present there that day. Now, there's many ways to think about food. Food, some people consider food fuel. It's just energy for our bodies. For others, it's about a good food, good taste. Uh, God gave us taste buds to enjoy meals. We come together as friends and family and we eat around the table. It's about relationship building, but it's also about transmitting culture. Uh, Jay and I have this friend named Phil. Phil grew up in Hong Kong, but he lives in Vancouver and he, he was part of our church, the last church that we pastored in. Through Phil and others, Jay and I really grew to love Hong Kong culture and especially through the food. One particular meal stands out. When Phil came to our house and he cooked hot pot for us. Hot pot is delicious. It's this big bowl of hot broth in the middle of the table and there's all sorts of raw meats and vegetables and 
herbs all around, and you put it into the pot, and it cooks in the pot, and then you eat it, and as the meal goes on, the broth becomes more and more and more delicious. And one of the reasons why hot pot is such a fun meal to have is because you don't eat hot pot alone. You eat hot pot with your friends and with your family. Often hot pots are for special occasions. And so when Phil cooked for us, he was sharing his culture, but he was also inviting us into deeper friendship with him. When we moved to Thunder Bay, we were also introduced to food that carries culture. So when we got here, we were asking people, probably some of you, how do we get to know the culture of Thunder Bay? And also, where are the good restaurants to eat? And everyone kept telling us, you have to have Finnish pancakes. Now, I'm allergic to eggs, so I figured Jay would be enjoying the Finnish pancakes, but not me. But this is not how it happened. Our good friends Helen and Andrew Siren invited us over for brunch one day, and Helen figured out how to make Finnish pancakes without eggs. I don't know if they tasted like the authentic real thing, but they, to me they were delicious. When Helen made the Finnish pancakes for us, she shared a meal that was more than just nutrition. She was inviting us into the community in the Finnish culture of Thunder Bay, but she was also inviting us into deeper friendship. The meal that Jesus shared with his friends was about friendship and relationship, but it was also significant because it was Passover. And Passover carried lots of traditional cultural and religious significance. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. Is this going to feel like a little bit of a rabbit, rabbit trail or a tangent? But it's not. It's really, really important if we want to fully appreciate what was happening at Jesus' Last Supper. It goes back to a story in Exodus. Now, in Exodus, there's a story about the Israelites. They have been enslaved by Egypt for about 400 years, and it's terrible. They're terribly oppressed. The Egyptians are very cruel to the Israelites, and they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord hears them. The Lord raises up Moses as a leader who is going to bring them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into freedom. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh doesn't. And so every time he doesn't let them go, a plague hits Egypt. There's all these plagues, like boils all over everybody, rivers turning to blood, Uh, frogs and locusts, and still Pharaoh doesn't let them go. And so there's this one last plague. The plague is terrible. And the plague is that every firstborn son in Egypt will die in the night. But the Israelites are going to be saved. They're going to be spared. And this is how they're spared. They're instructed to slaughter a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and smear it on the doorposts and smear it on the frame along the top. And then they're instructed to cook the lamb and to eat it along with unleavened bread. Remember, this is the festival of unleavened bread and the Passover meal that Jesus is having. So they're to eat the lamb with unleavened bread, bread without yeast. And when the angel comes, or the, when the death comes, the death passes over all of the houses of the Israelites. They are spared death. This is the event that eventually gets Pharaoh to relent, and they are released from slavery, and they step into freedom. And they're instructed by God to celebrate this Passover meal every single year to remember when they were set free. And then we fast forward a number of years 
The Israelites are in the desert now, and they're wandering around for 40 years. They're on their way to the promised land, but God doesn't just bring them to the promised land. It takes 40 years for him to refine them, to make them into a people who are ready for their calling to be a light to the nations. And so Moses goes up onto the mountaintop, and he meets with God, and God gives him a set of rules, regulations, or guidelines, the way that the people should live according to God's good plan in their life, because God made them, he loves them, and he knows the best way that they should live. So Moses comes down, and he's got this covenant, a covenant being an agreement. Israelites, you follow this set of guidelines, these rules, and I will uphold my end of the bargain, God says. But because people have free will, free choice, they can turn away from it. They can go their own way. And if they do, they'll be rejecting God and his care and his provision for them. And so this covenant is made. You follow this covenant and I will be close to you and I will take care of you. And this covenant is ratified by blood. So here comes the blood again. It's culturally significant in that time. Every time a covenant or agreement was made, it was sealed by blood. If it was today, maybe we would sign a legal document, but they didn't. This is what happens. Moses sacrifices some animals, and then it says in Exodus 24, Moses took half of the blood, put it in bowls, and the other half, and he splashed it against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant, and he read it to the people, and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey, meaning we will uphold our end of the agreement. And then Moses took the blood, he sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Aren't you glad we don't seal covenants with blood now? I, I am. But anyway, this is what happened because it's what was done in the culture at the time. And then there's this really amazing detail that I didn't actually notice until I was preparing for this message this past week. After the covenant is sealed by blood, there's another feast. Moses goes back up on top of the mountain, and he brings 70 elders with him, and then they are in the presence of the Lord, and Exodus 24, 11 says, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate, and they drank. It's a feast in the presence of the Lord. And then when we get to the Last Supper, It's another feast in the presence of the Lord. But this time, when Jesus takes bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks and he shares it with his friends saying, this is my body broken for you. He's saying, this is the new Passover. This is the new Passover. My body broken for you has something to do with you moving from being slaves to sin into freedom. And then when Jesus takes the blood, he's making a new covenant through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 28, he says, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Friends, a covenant is an agreement. We live under this new covenant that Jesus made that day. And according to the covenant, there's an understanding. You do this, and I'll do this. Jesus is saying, turn to me. Follow me. Choose me. Choose me to be the Lord of your life. 
And when you come to the table, turn away from all those things, all of those areas where you have not chosen me. Repent. Turn back. This is our end of the covenant. And Jesus has already upheld his end of the covenant when he went to the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. This is a pretty simple meal, bread and juice or wine, but it is packed with so much meaning. And friends, there's going to be another feast coming. There was that Passover feast, and then the feast on the mountaintop, and then that last supper feast that Jesus had with his friends, and then there's going to be a new feast. In Isaiah, there's this passage where the prophet Isaiah is looking back at that feast on the mountaintop, and he's looking forward to a feast that is coming in the future. Isaiah 25, 6 to 8 says this, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, not the gross vinegar wine that my papa made, but the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that unfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. This is the feast that is coming in the new heaven, in the new earth. I once asked my daughter, when she was about five or six years old, what she thought heaven was going to be like. Now, she also has allergies, at the time allergic to eggs as well, and dairy. So when I asked her, Ada, what is heaven going to be like? What do you think it's going to be like? She said this, I can't wait. The door is going to be opened, and there's going to be this great long table from one end of the room to the other, and Jesus is going to be at the head of the table, and he's going to say, Ada, welcome. I've been waiting for you. I have a special seat reserved for you right here. And she's going to sit at the table, and then Ada said the table would be filled with all of the things that she was allergic to, scrambled eggs and ice cream and macaroni and cheese and cookies and cakes, and she's going to be able to eat all of them, because they're not going to make her sick anymore. Ada said, I'm going to be able to eat all of this, and better yet, I'm going to be able to eat all of this with Jesus. When we participate in communion, we look back to that last supper, the Passover meal that Jesus had with his friends when the new covenant was established, and we look forward to this banquet, this feast that we're going to have in the new heaven and the new earth one day in person with Jesus, all of us together. At the end of our story, Jesus said, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so now, let's participate in this meal together. And we're going to do it according to the pattern that Jesus set for us in the Last Supper, starting with a conversation. So go ahead, grab your, I don't know, bread, if you're in person, paltry bread. Grab your little cup if you're at home. Grab whatever elements you have at home to celebrate with us. But 
don't eat it yet because we're going to have that pre-meal conversation. And so I invite you to join me in talking to Jesus through prayer. Jesus, as we prepare our hearts to share in your last supper, we turn to you, show us the way we have sinned against you, against ourselves, against other people. Those ways where we are not in right relationship. Now we're just going to pause and allow Jesus to search your heart and mind and bring things up where you might not be in right relationship. Or the ways where you have not lived in alignment with his good plan for your life. Now, Jesus, show us the ways you've been trying to pull us back from giving in to temptation, like you did with Judas. Show us how we may not have been listening. And show us the ways, Jesus, that we've treated you not like our Lord, but our rabbi, a good moral historical figure, rather than king. The ways we've not upheld the new covenant, turning to things other than you. Father, we confess these things to you, right now in our hearts. And so all you have to do silently in the quiet of your heart, Jesus, I confess, and then whatever it is. Father, forgive us. Jesus, thank you. By the blood shed on the cross, We enter into this new covenant where we are forgiven for everything. By the power of your spirit, transform us more and more into your likeness and make us more and more ready for that future feast with you in heaven. Amen.